We're live with Paranormal Dash Spirits. And this is the place we all come to get our booze on. We've all <laughs> had uh we've all had paranormal experiences. We all like to talk about our paranormal experiences. We all like to drink. Uh responsibly, of course, as John will point out for us every time. <laughs> Always make sure to say that. You don't want people to get the wrong idea. You don't want to get sued, right? So uh, I have with me uh, Alyssa, my wife. Hi. Uh, the beautiful John Burkett. Hola. And tonight we have a very special guest with us. We have Bonnie Jennings. Now, that's She's waving. She is waving. I see her waving. <laughs> so Bonnie had a near-death experience, and or as she calls it, her death experience. Uh, Bonnie has also written a book about this death experience, and this is far different than anything else that you're going to hear out there about how I died, I floated above my body, I could see him operating on me, and I went to the light. It's nothing like that. This is completely different, and I'll let her tell her own story. But I want to I want a chance to plug your book, Bonnie. And so if you go to Amazon, um, yeah, Bonnie's holding it up there. And go to Amazon, uh, you can purchase her book there. It's my near-death experience to Orion's Belt Escorted by Extraterrestrials by Bo Jin. And oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, there you go. We'll put it up there. And um, so that everybody can uh, take a look at it. And Bonnie, you illustrated this yourself. Uh, your paintings are inside this, uh, inside the book. The uh, I bought this, uh, gosh, when was it? Back in April, I guess, and I did. So there's Bonnie's book. Uh, it's for sale on Amazon. You can pick it up there, paperback. And so Bonnie, go ahead and... and Kick it off and tell us tell us your story. Okay, so um, do you want me do you want me to go into my father part or do you want me just to do the story part tonight? Let's do let's do the father too because that was in the I want I want to capture that as well. Okay, that's that really interesting. Okay, yeah. All right, so. Uh, first of all, what I'm going to tell you about my book, about my life, is about me. I'm not here to convince you or try to tell you that you're wrong and I'm right. I'm in this world just like you are, and I'm just trying to put all the pieces together. And I'm not a know-it-all. I'm just here, and I've experienced uh, some odd things, and um, I'm sure you have too. And so um, I'm going to take you back to 1952, the year I was born. And it was in that year that I believe that, um, see, Eisenhower was president. And I believe, I could be wrong, uh, the summer of that year, supposedly, supposedly, he had uh, uh, government meetings with extraterrestrials. Anybody ever hear that? Okay. Okay. So. Um, I have, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I was born in um, the fall, October of 1952. <clears throat> and I bring that up because it's kind of explosive or not explosive, but 
uh, an invitation of an entrance. You were born in this year and this happened and this happened. And, and so um, anyway, uh, in World War II, my father was in the Air Force. He was a pilot. He crashed a plane. He said, I'll never fly again. And so the Air Force said, okay, um, you could become a navigator. And so uh, he was in a bomber and he was a navigator. And when he was a navigator, he taught, he had to learn about the stars because they didn't have instruments back in those days to tell them where they were. They used navigators and navigators, uh, you know, flew at nighttime and they could say, oh, well, there's um, the Big Dipper or there's Sirius or, you know, there's Pleiades or the Seven Sisters or, you know, uh, Orion's Belt. And they told us, they told the pilot where they were in the world by the coordinates. And so that was um, his job. And that became significant to me as a child because um, he taught me a lot about that. Now, I have to tell you about him. My father, um, my mother told me, she said, you know, your daddy has a little bit of autism. autism. Well, back in those days, you know, they, you just didn't run out and get a diagnosis of autism or whatever. They just, pe people with autism worked. I mean, you just, unless you were severe, you know, and he was, he was a functional, um, above average autistic person who had, was gifted with mathematics. And so, um, so when I tell you that he's speaking to me, that's kind of an exaggeration because he spoke to himself and I was just there hearing, okay? And uh, I don't even know if he knew I was there, but he was just talking, you know what I mean? I'm just right. sitting by side hearing this. So I, I say, well, he talked to me and it wasn't really like he sat down and said now this, this, and this. So anyway, um, he was in World War II. He became a navigator. And um, after World War II, he, um, he um, somehow another government uh, paid for him to become a, um, a mechanical engineer. And so he went to um, Georgia Tech and uh, graduated from their program. And... Um, um, he, we, I was born in 1952 in New Orleans. And so we moved from New Orleans to San Francisco, San Francisco to Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma to Marshall, Texas, Marshall, Texas to Longview, Texas, all within five years. So you were and moving around. A movement. Okay. And so um, what happened, he ended up at Thiokol Chemical Corporation in Longview, Texas, where they designed missiles and rockets. Uh, this is before, right before uh, the Vietnamese War started. So primarily, initially, he was designing missiles and rockets until the war started. And so um, the I was a kid. I was a child. I was five, six, seven, eight. I was early childhood. And I remember... Um, hearing my mother talk, they didn't sit down and say, your daddy experienced a UFO, you know, but I could hear them talk and I was picking up from their conversation. I was a quiet child. So I picked up a lot of things and you got to watch out for those quiet ones. Cause you know, they're the ones picking up stuff. <laughs> and so um, I picked up a lot of things and um, 
So my father, uh, evidently, um, I understood it to be, he was at the plant at 3 a.m. I was later told by his best friend, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not really for sure. I think it doesn't matter. But um, he was uh, went out to a launching range. They were getting ready to launch a missile. And he went out to the launching range to check out the missile before launch. And uh, he was there with a photographer. And so when they were there climbing the ladder to get up to the to the missile uh suddenly they were surrounded by shoop 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 these lights of all different colors like orbs and i don't know how many quite a few i don't know how many uh but they were of different colors pastels and they circled them and um <clears throat> they halted the, that process and um, so the guy with the photographer, with the camera started taking pictures. And so um, they got back on base and they said, listen, this is what happened. And so um, they were flown immediately to Washington, D.C. And the camera was confiscated and the pictures were taken. And he was told, don't you ever speak about this ever again. Never, never, ever, ever. And so he came home and he was muttering. He wasn't speaking to me. He was out in the garage muttering. And I uh, am a little kid and I'm following him around as he works on his automobiles and all the things that he does out in the garage. <clears throat> and so um, he's uh, pretty angry with the government because they've told him to shut up. And he doesn't want to shut up because he saw something absolutely extraordinary. And um, so I think this probably happened more than once because um, there's a time lapse there and um, the conversation stretches in bits and pieces for about three years. And um, so I'm always out in the garage and I'm always hearing them mutter. And it got to the point where they were sending the Project Blue Book people. They didn't call them Men in Black then. They were Project Blue Book. And the Project Blue Book people came to our house. Now, mind you, I think I was in the fourth grade at this point in time. So that's why I think that there was more than one incident. And so I'm in the fourth grade and these beings, these people, uh, my mother told me they were aunt and uncle that I've never seen, never met, and they never came back again. And they were never mentioned again. Okay, but she said they're, they're an aunt and uncle, and they came with these horrific kids. And I, I think there were three kids. There may have been two, but I think there was three. But, um, you know, I was a pretty good kid. I, I sat and, and watched everything and listened. And, but these kids were like in the curtains and they were crawling the curtains and they were behind the couches and they were, they were looking under things and they were in the closets without permission. And I know my mother, my mother is a control freak and so is my father. And um, they're like beside themselves with these kids and these two in, old grown up individuals never stopped them from doing any of this stuff. And one of them was literally climbing the curtains and um, my mother was just freaking out. 
And I, do, I don't remember the kids looking any kind of odd or specific way. Uh, I remember one of them was a little round, but that's, um, that's all I remember. And uh, there would seem to be a small one that just watched. And then there was a medium-sized one that was in the nitpicky of it all. Anyway, that summer, my parents told me I was going off to um, summer camp, not one session, but every single one. And I never asked to go. And so I think it was a matter of getting me out of the house for whatever was taking place. And so um, I had to, it was six weeks of camp. And so I went and um, I heard about those kids every time my parents came. My mother was furious about those children. <laughs> and I have to laugh now because you'd have to know my mother. Uh, but <clears throat> anyway, so. Um, as we lived in that house, I call it the house my father built because he had the house built. And uh, we had 110 trees in the front yard and twice as many in the back. And um, so the house was nestled in woodsy area at the time. At the time, it wasn't a neighborhood. It was in practically in the woods. And um, so I'm, I don't know, seven, eight. I was little and all I, had, I was the youngest of three girls. And so we each had our own bedroom and mine was at the front of the house. And so in the middle of the night, one night I awakened and there were some men, very, very tall men in my bedroom. And I know a lot of people think, oh, this is sexual molestation. No, there was no sexual molestation, uh, but they were, um, they had a cloak, black cloaks over their head. I was absolutely petrified. Could not look at them in the face. I was so scared. And uh, one of them came over to me and he shook his long finger at me. He says, you open your mouth, you say a word, you talk to anybody, you scream, you yell, and you're in whatever was going to happen. And I just was shaking, literally shaking. And so I just froze. I was paralyzed. And I, they may have put me in a paralyzed state. Yeah, I felt paralyzed. <clears throat> and um, so they proceeded in the house. I think they walked down the room to where my father was. This is about the time the Vietnamese War had started. And so um, at that point in time, he started making uh, ammunition. And evidently he was supposedly the American who prevented the smart bomb in America. And so um, he, uh, and I'm not bragging about that, um, but um, he, um, I believe the information was given to him telepathically, possibly by these dudes. And um, so um, they came back not every night. I, I want to say maybe three, four times when I was a kid. That's all I kind of remember. But it got to a point I knew when they were coming. I had a permanent, I just knew. And I got to a point I would get out. I knew they were coming. And I'd get out of my bed as soon as I knew it. And I'd 
go as fast down the hall to my sister's room and hide behind the door and uh, at the, you know, at the, at the threshold of her door and uh, wait for these dudes to pass by and do their work. And then I'd go get back in bed. And so um, this one, I, I think maybe three or four times. I don't remember it happening every night or it happened enough. Okay. Uh, so um, as the years that went by, I talk about the story, but not very often because it seemed like something some kid dreamed up like me. And, and so um, it wasn't until my mother died in 2011 that I'm sitting around with my sister and my daughter and I'm starting to tell the story. I tell my sister how I'd have to come sleep on the floor in her room and she's listening and my daughter jumps in there and she says, mom, that happened to me. She said, I was in that room and she, and I, and I had not described what they looked like. And so I said to her, I said, don't tell me anymore. Get a piece of paper. We're going to draw what we saw and let's compare them. And we drew exactly the same thing. The only thing is she looked at their face. And they had told her, they said, if you yell or scream, you say anything, your brother that's laying next to you in the bed, he is not going to live. We're going to take him and he's going to die. These were not nice dudes. These were horrible beings. And um, so I grew up knowing that there are some alien beings that are not nice dudes. Okay, and so, so I'm sorry. I, I misunderstood because when you were talking about these guys that were visiting, these these aren't men then. These are not like no, Air Force right. These are uh, alien tough guys. These are alien beings. These are alien beings. Yes. But your uh, sister actually looked him in the face and you didn't. Oh. Is that right? And she said, you said she looked him in the face, but you yes, were too afraid she, to? He, she wasn't afraid to look at him in the face. So What did she uh, say the face looked like? Beaver? I asked her recently and she told me... Um, I think she said it was gray, very gray. I want to say she's, I, I might be get, guessing. I want to say she said the eyes were red, but I, I don't know. I shouldn't say that, but, but somehow another, I knew the eyes were red, but um, anyway, um, when, um, and, and, and to a child looking up on a bed, that dude looked like he was eight feet tall, okay? But our feel, our ceilings were shorter because it was a 1950s house. So it had the regular 1950s ceilings on it. <clears throat> so they weren't really that tall. But um, um, they weren't squatting, okay? They were, they were upright. But to a kid looking up, they looked huge. So I would say they were six and a half, seven feet tall, six, you know, they were tall to me. <clears throat> my father was six feet. They were taller than my father. But anyway, um, I um, was standing out. My father gave me a telescope for Christmas when I was nine years old. And it was probably one of the best gifts he ever gave me because that's when 
we would go outside at night and we would look at the stars. And um, he would, since he had been a navigator, he would say, oh, you know, that's Orion's belt. That's Pleiades. See those seven stars up there? That's Pleiades. You know, that's, uh, that's Orion. That's, you know, he'd be pointing out the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, how they're all connected. And um, So as a kid, I knew a lot. And um, I went to, in the fourth grade, I know I went to school and I gave a book report. And I, I gave a book report on the uh, Project Blue Book. And my teacher said to me, she said, how do you know that? I, and you know, I assumed that all kids knew this. I just thought this is normal. <clears throat> you know, I just thought everybody grew up with this. And I said, my father told me. And she happened to know my parents, so I don't know if she ever asked them about it or, or what. Uh, she's deceased now, but um, her daughter is still a friend of my sister's, so I wonder if they've ever talked about it. But um, anyway, I, I remember I was so thrilled about that report, you know, standing up in the class and giving that Project Blue Book report and... Um, just, I was, uh, when Project Blue Book, the movie came out, I was extremely disappointed because my father told me uh, the whole Project Blue Book thing was to uh, debuttal. It was to discredit. Put down, yeah. Yes, discredit every yeah. single Debunk. Yep. It was, they were all about debunking. They were not about, they would debunk it any possible way they could, and they were mean about it. And you That's do why not... J. Allen Hynek, uh, when he left the project, you know, he came out and said a lot of these things that we debunked, we really didn't. You know, J. Allen Hynek was the uh, physicist they had hired to work in the project to be the main scientific guy. Uh -huh. And uh, later, later, after he left, he had butted heads with the military the whole time. And after he left, he came out saying some of these things we never disproved. Yeah, I think it's, he had a lot of trouble. I think it's interesting that Heineck went into it as an absolute staunch non-believer. I do not believe in flying saucers. Came out a believer. <laughs> yeah, it came out completely. Did a one eighty and said, "Oh my God, they're for real. They're out there." You know. So I think Heineck saw some stuff. Bonnie, let's move on if we can to to your experience, uh, your your death experience, because. I'm sorry. What was that, Mike? Let's let's move let's move to your death experience. Can we talk about that? Sure. Okay. About the book and the death experience because I've read the book. John's read the book. Alyssa's read the book, and to me, that absolutely fascinating. The uh, because it was so different than you know, like I said yeah. at the start of the shows. Uh, you know, they were working on me and they were doing CPR and I floated up above and I saw myself and then I, I went to the light. Of light. Yeah, yours is nothing like that. It's amazing. So tell us about that. Okay. And John had mentioned something last time and uh, about the DMT. And uh, I agree with John um, with the dimethyltryptamine. Uh, dimethyltryptamine. Yes, thank oh, there you. There you go. Someone can say it. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think I, I think I herniated my tongue when I did that, but I can say it. <laughs> that's a hard one to get, but I do believe that um, that that is the main ingredients um, when the 
when the body uh, and the soul and the spirit, when, when they separate, uh, there's a tearing away of the spirit, but the spirit is the energy, okay? So when it tears away, it's ripping and it's leaving the, uh, the, so the soul, the physical and the soul torn. And so as you're, as you're passing through all the cells that are torn with DMT, you're having, you're, you're going through your own DNA and you're, you're reliving your life through the, I don't know how it works, but the DMT and the DNA mixed together and you are experiencing what you experience. And so and I, here's, think I think it's interesting that you bring that up because if you, if you've ever been around hospice nurses and they talk about the, the kaleidoscopic effect that occurs uh, at the end of your, your physical existence to where the, the person will start seeing their, Basically, your life passed before your eyes, you know. And right. So, and and I think that that's. I think. I think, I, I think it's a. You're you're through your cells. Your life is coming out of every single cell in your body, and every single cell has experienced your life, all your beliefs, everything you've ever done, every look you've ever had from your mother or father, every dog or cat you've ever petted. Every experience, e eating ice cream, everything that you've ever had is in every single cell of your body. And so your life passes out of those cells through that DMT and you are released. Okay. I think right. the DMT is the conduit or if conduit, if you will, or the medium for the spirit to transcend or leave the physical form. Or the, or the catalyst. I have no idea. I, I know that I, we're... I, I, I know that we, us, are, okay, so I found this today. These are pictures that I drew a long time ago. You lost you. <laughs> you got screen screen. It became invisible. <laughs> okay, well, um, I had the Celtic, I had the Celtic design up there with the two, three squiggly lines, and it means body, soul, and spirit. Yeah. And so Body is the physical with the DNA in it, and the soul is the physical part of the body um, that's remained. Uh, and then your the spirit is the electricity. Okay, so the plug-in to the source or the matrix of all life is the plug-in through the spirit. And so, anyway, as I'm getting into my story because. As I said in the beginning, my story is my story. It doesn't have to be your story. I'm not trying to make my story into your story. And so we are all our own beliefs and our lives. And so when our being passes through our body, we experience everything that we are. And so I didn't experience what a lot of people who are very religious experience. They experience the tunnel and the light and the going into the angels. I didn't have that. That's not me. Okay. So I had um, the experience of um, waking up. Okay. So here I tell you, there's no timeline up wherever in the afterlife there is no timeline so everything happens right then and there but because i had to put everything onto a timeline to make sense to me 
Um, that's how I have to tell the story. And I'm not for sure if this happened first, this one, this one, this one, because everything happened at once. So as I say, I, as I tell you, I'm, I find myself in a, a place that looks, reminds me of a Petri dish. And I, I drew a pod in my, that I put in my book and all my pictures I drew after my near death experience, which I experienced a brain injury uh, during it because I, I was gone for over 30 minutes. And when I returned my, uh, my brain tissue was injured. But anyway, so um, I drew pictures because I couldn't read or write. I couldn't do mathematics. So I had to do something. Anyway, I keep jumping all over the place and I'm sorry. But um, so I, I um, found myself in a pod or Petri dish. And inside that pod, there's absolutely no color. No color. Whatsoever. There's no gray, no black, no white, no nothing. There's no walls. There's nothing to cling on to. I remember it was a little thick. Something felt thick. And um, I was totally alone. And so I'm like, I guess I'm waking up. That's what I think. I'm waking up. And I, and I say, hello, am I alone? Am I alone? Where am I? And um, so a being, I think was probably robotic came over to me and lifted me out of that. I don't remember being lifted, but it went, went from one place to do another. And so uh, from there, I'm suddenly, um, I'm suddenly in uh, a white mountainous area with red blood coming down off of these mountains. And there's a stream of red blood. And I, I said, am I in hell? <laughs> and this, this Asian being looked at me and he says, well, do you think you're in hell? And I said, well, no. He says, well, then you're not. And so here, here I want to interject what we were just talking about. Whatever you believe is what happens to you at death. Okay. So if you are one who's really into hell and demons and this and that, that's going to happen to you because that's what you're focused on you know you're in trouble mike <laughs> i was gonna say i was gonna say you're i'm gonna end up some place with it's ghosts with, and werewolves and with strippers and cocaine <laughs> you might you just might but you just have to remember that you are in control when you get there and you just remember that i'm telling you that now that because there are some scary places when i'm there in that and that mountain that and those brains are coming everywhere. I'm like, where, where am I? He says, Well, you're at the cleansing pool. I said, Well, what's what's the cleansing pool? He says, Well, these are brains and I'm washing them. And uh I said, Oh, all temperature cheer. <laughs> I said, I said, Well, does it hurt? He said, Did it? I said, Well, no, I don't even remember it. He says, okay. He says, every time you move or go to a new place, a new ascension, you ascend, um, you'll be cleansed. And I said, okay, all right. That didn't hurt. That was painless. And so um, with that, I was gone from there. And I am standing at, um, a, oh, I'm standing in the desert, a real gold desert. There's no temperature. There's a little wind blowing, and I um, I'm looking out, 
There's no animals, no people that I know. I see a big stone, huge, moving towards me. And I watch it move and it moved right up to my feet and it's circular. I look at it, it's black and there's nothing on it, absolutely nothing. And I, and I suddenly look down and the five to six o'clock place opens up like a little door. And before I walked through that door, I thought to myself, is this my life? And is this where I'm at at 12 o'clock it'll be end? Or I said to myself, is this one of my lives? And is this, so I, so I knew at that point, there was a question about, right. you know. So um, anyway, I said, okay. So I walked through the entrance and I um, immediately, um, I saw somebody I knew. I was still in the desert. And um, I, it was a guide who I knew. I mean, we didn't hug, run up and hug, but it was like, hi, how are you? You know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he had crystal blue eyes or crystal light, 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 light blue eyes. And he said, um, um, he didn't say too much. He, he reached down to the dirt and he held up some dirt in his hand and he let slide out of his hand. And I'm like looking at that dirt and that sand and all those bits of beautiful iron ore and silvers and golds and sparkles and he put some in mine and I did the same thing I looked at dirt for the first time like I'd never seen dirt before and right. it, it was like be aware <laughs> that there's so much beneath your feet that you are unaware of you know there's right. a universe beneath you. And so I I didn't get that at the time, okay, but I, I see it now. What he was saying, beneath your feet are billions of you know, I mean, so over the top, you can't even think about it, you know. Mm -hmm. So oh, by the way, he doesn't correct me. Okay, if I ask a question, he doesn't answer me. The only thing he'll say is, what do you think? And if I'm wrong, he doesn't correct me because he doesn't want to answer me. He wants me to answer myself. He I, wants think me is, I think that you, Bonnie, obviously you and I have talked about this before, but this is one of those places I think that, that what you experienced and what I have experienced and as far as my beliefs uh, system, shamanic belief system, that there's a, a huge correlation between what you just said and in the shamanic belief, when you ask a, a question of a guide, you know, a spirit, an enlightened guide, then you don't really get an answer, a yes or no. It's like, well, what do you think? You know, and so they right. guide you in letting you decide what you're going to do. But go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted no, 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 that's good. I'm glad you do that because it makes me, you know, recognize things. But um, it's like um, there, I know, looking back, that I answered things wrong, but he didn't correct me. And mm -hmm. so three and a half, four years later, I can say, you know, I was wrong about that. And so I can go and correct 
whatever I thought, you know? So, right. yeah, I think you're right about that. They don't, they're not there. To, they figure, they know you can figure it out. They're there for you to figure it out. They, they're there to guide you. And so um, at that point in time, um, he said to me, um, okay, let's go um, to see the places that you love. And so I said, okay, let's go. So we were at Samaria. We stopped. I do know we went to Samaria first. Okay. And the Samarian tablets were there. And I saw them and I ran to them. Now, I didn't know it then, but now when I reflect back and I saw those tablets, I knew that I had lived there. I knew that I had been a part of that civilization and they were very familiar to me and they were very important to me. And I could read them and I can't read them. I now look at hieroglyphics of the pyramids to try but to try to look at them I look now to see if I know what it means because I knew all of that during my near-death experience right and so far nothing has come clear but we're at least I'm looking at it now yeah. but um anyway um so we went to the Sumerian tablets and we went to the pyramids and we went through all the pyramids on, you know, in uh, Egypt and the ones uh, in Central America and up through Mexico. Um, and then at that point in time, he, he said to me, are you ready? And I said, for what? He says, put, put out your arms. So I put out my arms and he said, let's go. And we took off off earth, I, I think maybe we visited the cleansing pool. I'm not positive, but we took off. We're um, taking off from earth. And I remember it was so freeing. It was just so wonderful. Just, just absolutely flying through the stars and the galaxies and mm -hmm. just, you know. So we got up to Ryan's belt and when I looked at Orion's belt, I saw this huge starship, gigantic. Um, and I thought, oh, my God, okay. But I wasn't frightened. I mean, I, I, it just seemed normal. And so I said, okay, let's, let's go. And so uh, we went inside, and we went into a room. And in the room was a table and a chair, although there were not physical. I knew there was one. And so there, I do remember there were lights coming from underneath the table and from underneath the chair. And I have temporarily had a seat. My guide stood at the back. I think he was standing at attention. I don't know. But in walks the five, the five of council. I didn't know this, but there were five in the council of alien beings that are supposedly in the Federation of the Galaxy. There are five. So they were in my NDE. And so um, in they walk. And the first one is a very small, grayish being. He's extremely friendly and very, very polite. And he says to me, have a seat. And I, I did. And um, I think he introduced everybody, but there was no eye contact with anybody. Okay. <clears throat> the the tall there was 
uh, he was the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. And so the ones I can remember are the middle one and the end one, and the two in between I can't remember. But I do remember the one at the very end was a tall, tall white. And I say tall white with absolutely no eye contact. Little did I know that through a friend of mine who's done a study of this, told me one day, tall whites give no eye contact. I said, what? So she verified to me what I learned in my NDE. And why is that? Because um, according to her, tall whites uh, don't give eye contact because um, it has to do with their children. That anybody gives them eye contact, that means that person is after their children and they will kill you over it. So I'm like looking at her like, what? Why won't you give me eye contact? And so she, she never looks at me or he. Um, and then the one next to him, I can't remember. The third one seems to me to be kind of birdish, beakish, bluish. And then the uh, next one, I don't remember. And then the small gray guy. And um, I would love to be hypnotized to see if I couldn't come up with those two beings because they're important to me. So um, anyway, they... They are giving me, I guess, my uh, my life report, which I don't remember because I have a tendency to forget things that are bad. <laughs> so it must have been pretty bad. So I, I, I don't remember a thing that they said. And um, I, um, they asked me to read some binary code for them. And I I said, I don't read binary code. And they looked at me like, really? <laughs> I said, well, I don't. And uh, so they handed me a stack of papers like the old 1990s computer paper. And they said, they, it had binary code on it. Said, they said, read this. And I'm like, well, I don't read binary code. And, and so I looked down at that paper and suddenly I'm reading binary code. And uh, I do remember that that is their um, their wet method of finding or locating beings uh, through time in the in the universes or on our world through binary code. So um, they said, "Okay, come on." Uh, I guessed I passed that. They were much friendlier. I have to say, before that all started, that they weren't all lovey and kind and friendly. They weren't mean or hostile. They were just very professional, you know? And so um, at that point, after the whole interview, they said they were friendlier, they were lighter. And um, they said, uh, come on in with us. We're going to take you to another room. Uh, we want to show you something else. And so they took me to a room with these um, alien beings at, that were having a very good time. And, um, they were sitting around just kind of joking with each other, but um, they showed me, when I walked in, they said, we're going to show you some star charts. I said, okay, I, I'd love to see that. And so um, they opened up the sky and I, they start, They said, identify places. And so I started identifying places. And uh, after that was over, they said, okay, you're free to go. You can you can go wherever you want. And I, I got to tell you this time, that book of paper from the 1990s with binary codes, 
these men, these beings took that paper and they burned it. They lit a fire to it. <laughs> they burned it and it uh, it went into the starship and it just, they, they enjoyed that immensely. I don't know why, but they found a lot of humor in that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand it, but they did. They were amused by it. And so anyway, they went to the back of the starship starship and they said to me, Well, you're free to go. So I guess I passed their whatever. And uh they said, You can go anywhere you want. You are free to go. I said, Okay, well, good. And um I I remember taking off, and I, I have to tell you here that my sister was um um in the hospital room at, with my two children and my sister was telling me mentally and I could hear her. She was saying, Bonnie, it's not your time to go. My late mother, she's a mother. She said, is telling me that you can't go. It's not your time. You've got to come home. Who's going to take care of all these animals? You've got to come back. And I said, well, um, oh, I don't really want to come back. I really did not want to come back. And so I just, uh, we took off and I took off and I was flying along and, and I did have somebody with me, a male, but we weren't communicating, but I did know he was tagging me. I think just in case I got lost or something, he would be there if I wanted to ask a question, but we, I was, there was no communication. And I got up to, a, a, a I wrote, moon or a moon in my book but it, it was a planet i sat on the side of the planet and i watched the elohim the bible elohim um make or create a nebulous and when i say elohim i mean the plural the hebrew word plural that means gods but so the elohim was creating a nebulous and it was god's Pearl making it, and it looked like a um, a witch's wand, a long wand that had sparkly lights coming out, and it, it, it was just boom, boom, like painting a picture, like a masterful, masterful painting of a picture, and just using those lights and throwing them, and it was it was having such a good time, and I just really enjoyed watching it. It was just like, wow, this is really cool, and. It was just so cool watching it have such a good time. And um, it seemed to say back to me, you see, there is no judgment. We, right. you know, we just, you're, you're, we're supposed to love, you know, that's it. That's the bottom line is love. And uh, so anyway, I could, in the back of my head, I'm still hearing my sister. Please come home. We need you to come home. It's not your time. And so I watched them. Oh, and I got to tell you, I never, always forget this part. It's really a good part. I I, I venture on, and I'm at the um, I'm at the edge of the universe. Okay, and I I drew a picture of it. So I'm at the edge of the universe, and at the edge of the universe, there's like floral, there's like florals that's holding us in like a baby bundle. And so I'm out there, and it's it's talking to me and uh, I'm talking to it. It's very, very busy. They're very, very busy. Uh, it's just sewing and sewing and sewing. And um, so 
I'm saying, well, what's out there? And that's outside of the universe. And they said, oh, don't ever go out there. Anybody who goes out there never returns. So I thought, okay. And immediately in my head, I'm thinking, they said everybody that goes out there. You mean there's been other people? <laughs> so evidently there <laughs> I know me, and I am the guy that would be out there on the edge going, oh, oh, what, what happens if I go out there? Because they said don't go, you know. Uh-huh. So, well, well I heard there was a good restaurant at the end of the universe from Douglas Adams. So I would probably be right there too. But they were going, if you go back there, we will never see you again. And so um that brought me to the book Alien Interview, which if anybody hasn't read it, you should probably read it. Um so it kind of gets into the edge of the universe and um all that anyway so at this point in time i can hear my sister and i'm like okay um here's my choice i decided okay i'll go back and uh, i have to say that when you're when i was out there i really had no compassion or no sympathy or no empathy i really didn't associate or feel a connection to the dogs, my children, my sister. It wasn't, there was no, you understand what I mean? There was just, mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that they were my children, but there wasn't this humanly emotional, oh, those are my children, I gotta get back. There was none of that. It was like, oh, those are my children over there, you know? Um, and there was not, there wasn't this, I got to get back because of them. So um, anyway, so I got to that point where I thought, oh, I better go back. And um, so the guy that was with me, the, the young dude, he says to me, are you ready to go back? And I said, yeah, I guess so. He says, okay. And I forgot to tell, I tell, forget to tell everybody the story. When I, when I got there and I finally met my guide, the first thing I said to him, how come I didn't have a tunnel? I didn't have lights. I didn't have angels. I didn't have what other people have. And he, he looked at me like, really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're complaining a lot. And so um, so when I'm ready to go back, the guy, I said, okay, I'm ready. And he said, okay, just jump on in. And when I jumped on in, I jumped into a purple tunnel with all kinds of lights shoop, 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 going back all the way from way out in space into my body. And as I'm passing through the tunnel, he's yelling at me. He says to me, don't forget the love. Love is, is the only glue that matters. And I zipped back in my body and I woke up in ICU about three or four days later. And, wow. Uh, so did that tunnel, did it look like uh, John's background there? <laughs> yes, I was looking at that. <laughs> Except purple. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's this, is, this is Tate jumping into hyperspace in uh, Star Wars, but. Yeah. yeah like... <clears throat> but, Bobby, uh... you timed that pretty well. That was like spot on an hour. And of course, our show was an hour, you know, so. And I was like, wow, how did she time that like that? But 
well, I actually have a couple little spots more, but they're not a, they're not really important things. Yeah, what do you got? Let's hear. Well, because I don't want to I don't miss anything. Okay, well, eleven days later, I'm having what um, might be another heart attack, and I um, I um, am I'm in my room and I'm alone and you know, my brain's fried. Okay. I, I'm thinking I'm not a childlike, but I'm not then what I am today. And, or and I'm wasn't then what I was the day before, but um, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I, you know, why didn't they just, why didn't I just stay then? Why isn't it coming back to get me? That doesn't make sense. And so um, I'm, I'm very present that there is a force with me that's waiting there for me. And I, I drew a picture of my book. It doesn't exactly look like that, but that's how I can describe. Mm -hmm. And after that was over, the nurse came in at midnight. She says, your second, your second, um, forgot what the name of it is. Um, they do three cardiac enzyme test to see if right, the, the troponin yeah. Yeah, yeah second was was clear and so i i looked up at that dude and i said listen i'm staying and you need to go and he gone but he did show up again about six months later um when i had another reaction um to something and so when you uh, say when you say this you call him a dude is this the guy? Is this your guide from when you were on the other side, or is this somebody totally no, different? This is what people would call a death angel. I call the transporter. This dude. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, Jason Statham coming to get you. Yeah, coming to get you. Got a sickle there, you know. And um, um, I, I was really more frightened on that. Uh, the six-month deal that I was on the second one in the hospital, the six-month one really kind of scared me. But um, but it, it turned out okay. Everything was all righty. And Bonnie, I when you were you were gone for thirty minutes, right? Yes, plus thirty. That's minutes. That's a miracle! Wow, that is a miracle that you're here. Yeah, it's it really yeah, is that, because you don't come back from thirty minutes. You don't. Unless, you don't, you don't yeah. come back not a vegetable. That's right. And Thank you, Alyssa. <laughs> on, on those occasions when somebody does come back after 30 minutes or ish, it's always when they've been in an accident where they drowned and it was uh like freezing really cold. water. Yeah. You know, there's been there's been instances of where people have lasted, you know, right. longer, but you were you didn't drive your car off a bridge. Uh, no, right. It was frozen, so so that it's definitely not that. You know, we right. know that. So yeah, it's. Um, I'm glad I didn't because that would be just horrible. But um, I went without oxygen to the brain. I had an anaphylactic shock that went into um, a myocardial infarction, heart mm. attack, and <clears throat> um. So I, um, going without oxygen for that long a time, um, 
as Alyssa says, she's a nurse. I'm a nurse. I mean, that's why the EMS tells you, you must be there within four minutes because within four minutes of without oxygen, you lose brain tissue and you can be in, um, you can be in uh, rigor mortis within an hour. There are certain, like for myself, somebody who's gone without oxygen and a flactic shock, they would, they could go into rig full rigor mortis within an hour. So to go without um, brain oxygen for 30 minutes is a long time. And uh, in fact, uh, both of my legs are numb. <laughs> it's really horrible. Uh, but I came back with numb legs and um, they, um, I'm certain that's probably from rigor mortis setting in. Right. You know, horrible to think that, but I, I have to massage my legs and my feet every day, like three, four times just to, you know, get, get the, get it moving in there. So EMS worked on you for 30 minutes or by the time you went down, they showed up in how long? Okay. So the, I went down on February the 8th, 2018, and that was a freezing cold night. Okay. So I live kind of in the country. So my son called EMS the next morning. Now that's just confusing. It wasn't until the morning, but, um, so we're out in the country. I don't know. I was, you know, I don't know how long it took them to get here, but um, I would say that it probably took them 10 minutes to get here because of the weather and what have you. I'm just guessing. And then um, their report says 30 minutes, but my son followed them to the hospital from our house. And he said, mom, it took them an hour to get there. We live 12 miles. And, um, so he said it took, the, and the reason it took him so long, they'd pull over and they'd start giving you um, compressions again. And he could see them. And so he said, mom, that was an hour. He said, so, so you don't give compressions. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't remember giving compressions when they have a heartbeat. You, you don't. Yeah. You know, and, and you don't give oxygen, uh, you don't give mouth to mouth. Um, of course, they have a, you know, once you get intubated, but uh, meanwhile, they're giving, mm -hmm. you know, with a mouth thing. Yeah, but they but, don't, not for 30 minutes, so. No, well, and you know, now they don't even tell you to give mouth breaths. They just say to continue compressions at this point, because they say circulation is more important than airway, which it's kind of counterintuitive for a nurse that's ABC, which is airway breathing circulation. But I mean, your airway needs to be clear, I suppose, but they, they just say that you need to continue compressions more than you need to give breaths. So that's a new change to everything to me. But regardless, you being out that long, is, you don't hear people coming back from that. And I, I've had doctors no. I, that I've that have said, how, how did you do it? And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, so from the time I'm trying to get this timeline, right? So by the time you went down and you woke up, that's assuming how long, like earthly time you were gone. So three days that this NDE may have lasted. Uh, I don't think I was gone three days. I think, um, Okay, I think I went, here's what I'm guessing, because I remember going down on the 8th 
my son and daughter said I was up talking to them on the ninth. So how could that be? So um, I I probably I bet you I went out more than once. Okay. My guess is probably I went out that evening and probably that morning. That's I'm guessing. Okay. What could I mean? What else could it be? Because I, unless I was in a ghost form and they saw me in a ghost. I mean, I don't. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's really. Yeah. I I don't know. I guess. Oh. That's the paranormal <laughs> part. What the. Right. Right. So okay. Well, I can definitely say it's the most interesting. NDE or death experiences, you like to call it, that I've ever heard of for sure, especially just because from a medical standpoint, right. you shouldn't be right. here to tell us about it. Right. Exactly. And thank you for saying that because, you know, all the time NDEers are going on and saying, I was dead for three days. I was dead for, you know, I was, I was dead for 20 minutes. And okay, I'm like, well, where's your brain injury? You know? Right. Right. You're gonna have a brain injury if you're gone yeah. for a minute. The body doesn't work that way. The body does not work without oxygen. That's leaving. right. Oh, you're gonna have no. Bonnie, yeah. thank, thank you so much for sharing that with us. The <laughs> your story. I want to uh I want to pop up your your uh book here again on the screen so everybody can see. Um you guys see that? Yeah. Yep. Okay, awesome, cool. Uh it plug this. This is at um this is Amazon. You can pick it up. Uh John's got a copy, I've got a copy, Alyssa's got a copy. Um this is a great this is a great book. It could because if for nothing else, it tells a different story, it gives a different perspective than what we've seen before. And and I, I have love that. Thank you. A lot of people have called me a liar. She's making it up, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, hey, I've got the medical records. Right. Uh, I love that you illustrated it yourself. That, I did too. I, loved I think that. that's cool. So that was part of your therapy, wasn't it? Yeah. One of my best friends is an art therapist. And she said, you you got to illustrate. You got And I can't, I can't do that. How can you do that? You know, because when you're there, you're not in a three-dimensional world. You're seeing everything. You're in the dimension, you know? Right. So, John, that's another topic that's kind of interesting about the matrix kind of deal. You are actually, you're not, you're not in a 3D world. You are. Right there inside the cell, and that, you know that yeah. next dimension. Now, did you yeah. draw before this? Could you? I did. I did. Yes, I did, but I not to this level. Okay. You know, I would have said that I was okay artist, you know, uh, but I, um, I don't know. It, a little, I, you know, I'm not a Van Gogh or a, you know a Monet, but. Um, there's something there's some substance to it that I, I really think that some people should probably pay attention to you know and it helps me um get me down on paper yeah it helps me explain things i think it's interesting that you use the painting like that to to express yourself you know when you talk about you come back and you go man i had to learn to talk all over again I had to walk all over again I had to learn right. to write all over again 
and yet you were still able to to draw on that ability to to paint and, and draw on that. I think that's amazing. I couldn't even count to a hundred. Okay, I was amazed today. Mm -hmm. I I had forgotten how to count to a hundred. I couldn't imagine how anybody could forget counting to a hundred. But you know, when you have a brain injury like that, you know, when oxygen is depleted. There are things that go away, and you have recovered amazingly, obviously. Let me share again uh, over on Amazon. Uh, Bonnie has a book for sale. Uh, it's my near-death experience or Ryan's Belt escorted by extraterrestrials by Bo Jen. I assume that is your pseudonym, Bonnie? Um, it's not. That's what you write under. Was, you're, you're you're not sharing her book. Yeah. You're sharing your screen. You're sharing a picture of a swamp, maybe. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, you've got to. You're sharing your desktop. You. <clears throat> oh, let me try this. How about that? Is this better? <laughs> yes. There, there we go. go. There now, go. I can blame that on the B double O Z E because. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. All right, so there's Bonnie's book, My Near-Death Experience. And while we're plugging, let's just go ahead and, and plug our stuff, too. Uh, yeah. 3B Paranormal Spirits. If you get on YouTube, you can look up all, all our different videos. We actually do our podcast in video form. Uh, wow, we got 48 views today, and we're averaging one video or one view per hour, which is pretty good for uh, a podcast, long format. That mm -hmm. one's an hour and 20 minutes almost. Um, also check out our website uh, that's on paranormal-spirits.com uh, and from there that's kind of a launch pad you can get to everywhere we've got uh, you can go in there and you can look at our Facebook group which is uh, booze with benefits and you can go to our store you can check out uh, boozy's boutique you can get the, the cool shirts that say stuff like oh shit I've Oh shit, get the sage or uh, ghost hunting is my cardio. <laughs> uh, you can actually click on this link here. We've got for Bonnie. If you click on that book, you can go to Amazon, you can buy it. Uh, click here, you can go listen to our podcast. Um, these are upcoming podcasts we've got coming. Uh, John's going to take us on the story about Bobby Mackey's Portal to Hell, and I'm going to talk about the haunting at Amityville. Uh, also, if you want to find out some weird stuff about us you can click on this link here <laughs> uh, come check us out uh bonnie thank you so much thank you thank, thank you bonnie for, thank you. for sharing Lord. with us and that is i i certainly appreciate it we're all gonna have to go out one night and have have a a beer yeah, -Z -E. i'm not driving <laughs> And go. Let's go to a graveyard or something, okay? There you go. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not driving. <laughs> we'll let John drive. Yeah. There you John go. Can, that's a, John can drive. Great. Wait. <laughs> uh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if we should do that either. <laughs> oh, I think that would be fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate okay. it. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate right. it. Y'all have a good one. You too. Bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Good night.